I invite you to reach for your Bible and stand with me for our scripture reading this morning. We're going to be turning to John chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 28 and 29 as Pastor Bruce continues in his series, Cries from the Cross, and our fifth lesson today, A Cry of Suffering. We can read the cry of suffering in John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things are now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for the work that you did through your Son on the cross, and help us to learn from his cries, and learn from the cross what it means for our lives, uh, and be changed uh, by the power, um, uh, by your power, and by what was shown on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we uh, want to continue in our series that we've been in for the last few weeks, a series we've been calling Cries from the Cross. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at the seven last sayings, or the seven last cries uh, that Jesus made while he was being crucified on the cross. And this morning, we want to take some time and focus on the simple words that he said from the cross, I thirst, I thirst. Have you ever really uh, been extremely thirsty before? I'm sure all of us have. I mean so thirsty that your lips are chapped, your tongue feels thick, and your throat is so dry you can barely make a sound. That's the kind of thirsty I'm talking about. The average American drinks 54 gallons of pop, each year, 25 gallons of beer, but only 12 bottles of water, or I should say 12 gallons of bottled water each year. They say your body is comprised of about 60% water, which means if you weigh 150 pounds, then you're carrying about 12 gallons of water in your body, the same amount that the average person or each American drinks each year, which is kind of interesting. Medical experts tell us that we can live for more than 40 days without uh, water, food, but the body cannot live without water for very long. In fact, they say you can only live about 72 hours without water, where you can go for a fairly long time, 40 days without food. And of course, about that time, that's when dehydration begins to take over your body if you go without water for a long time. The muscles begin to cramp, the kidneys shut down, and you may even begin to experience severe headaches. Dehydration is also the number one cause of fatigue in people. So if you're tired here this morning, the reason may be is because, well, you're not drinking enough water. Your body can't operate without water. Your brain even begins to shut down without water. So perhaps we should start passing out bottles of water as you come into the worship service each Sunday. So you can pay better attention to the message. You know, as we've been looking at these cries from the cross, these, these seven sayings that Jesus made while he was being crucified, there's a lot of words and a lot of sayings that Jesus said that you and I, we could never say. But everybody can say this fifth cry from the cross. In fact, we do it all the time. We say, I'm thirsty. Our kids say it even when they're not. 
They say, we, before it's time to go to bed, so they can delay going to bed. I'm thirsty. And they, you know, one of my youngest son is notorious for that. You know, it's all of a sudden he's been playing, he's been watching TV for, you know, for the past hour. Hasn't been thirsty then, but the moment we say, let's go to bed, what does he want to do? You got it. And so whether you're mowing the yard, whether you're playing sports, and afterwards, and we, we've all experienced a time where we have said the same thing Jesus has said here in this fifth cry. I'm thirsty. This fifth cry expresses one of our most primal needs, the need to have our thirst quenched. This cry is the shortest of the seven cries from the cross. In fact, it's just one word in the Greek, and as you see in your English Bibles, it's two words. But again, this cry has tremendous significance when you begin to understand the reason and meaning behind what Jesus is saying here. Now, let's look at this. In, coming up on the screen, Jesus' fifth cry from the cross, it's really a cry of physical and spiritual suffering. It's a cry of physical and spiritual suffering. We learned last Sunday that Jesus hung on the cross for a total of about six hours. He was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning, and he died around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The last three sayings of Jesus, including this one, are said in the final moments before his death. In fact, many scholars believe they're said one right after another. And so notice again with me what it says in John 19 in these two short verses here. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of, full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. What's interesting is having heard Jesus say, I thirst, the soldiers took a sponge, they dipped it into the sour wine, they put it on a stalk of hyssop, and then reached up with it to his lips. Now, it's interesting that since the book of Exodus, uh, this, this word hyssop, the hyssop plant, uh, if you go back to the book of Exodus, it was a hyssop plant that was dipped in the blood of the lamb and spread on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over that house. Now the hyssop is used again in the redemption story, except this time... The sponge, instead of dipped in the blood of the lamb, it is dipped in sour wine and put on the hyssop stalk and used to reach Jesus' lips. And as Jesus licked the sponge, a few drops of the sour wine penetrated or came into his mouth, just enough to moisten his lips, just enough to moisten his tongue and throat, just enough, perhaps, so Jesus could say the last two statements before his death which we will look at in the next two weeks, where he says, it is finished, and then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's also interesting to note that when Jesus was first crucified, six hours earlier from when he says this first cry, the soldiers had offered him something to drink. And at that time, Jesus refused it. But now, six hours later, Jesus accepts something different to drink. You say, well, what's the difference? Why now? Why later? Well, notice in your notes here what it says in Matthew 27, 33 through 34. It says they came to a place called Golgotha, 
which means the place of the school. So this is before they actually crucified Jesus. They're taking him to the place of the school, the place where they crucified him. And there it says they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink. So what we see here in these two passages is that twice the soldiers offered Jesus something to drink. You notice here on the screen, the first time it was wine mixed with gall. And the second time, it was sour wine. Or some of your translations may even say wine vinegar mixed with water. So why did Jesus refuse the wine mixed with gall when they first offered it to him before he was even crucified? What's the deal with that? Well, wine mixed with gall actually had a a somewhat of a narcotic effect. It, it It was a drink that was given to victims to help kind of deaden their pain. And apparently, the wine made the bitterness of the gall a little easier to drink. So basically, what the soldiers offered Jesus was a drink with a painkiller in it before they pounded the nails through his hands and his feet. But as soon as Jesus tasted it and he realized what it was, he refused to drink it. And the question is, well, why? Why why would he refuse a painkiller to kind of numb and deaden the effects of the crucifixion? I believe the answer is because Jesus did not want to impair his faculties when he died on the cross. He wanted to experience the the full judgment and suffering for our sins without any painkiller. He wanted to be mentally alert while he was paying for the sins of the world. By the way, why? you 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 may be wondering, well, why did the soldiers try to give Jesus this drink with a painkiller? You know, what's their motivation? Well, it wasn't for humanitarian reasons, believe me. These are Roman soldiers. It wasn't because they felt sorry for Jesus. It was for their own benefit. They didn't want to hear the criminal scream when they crucified them. Uh, As some of you may know, and we talked about this a little bit, crucifixions were a a very long, drawn-out process. You didn't die instantly when you were crucified. It was suffering for hours and hours, and and people would often scream, especially in the beginning when they still had enough strength to do so. And so if you were a Roman soldier who was assigned to crucifixion duty, you didn't want to hear people screaming for hours and hours on end while you're waiting for these victims to die off. So what would you do? You gave them wine mixed with gall just to quiet them down a little bit. But Jesus refuses this wine mixed with gall before he's crucified. But now John tells us, six hours later, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, says, I thirst. Now, what is he referring to here? After what was accomplished? Well, after Jesus had finished paying for the sins of the world after Jesus had experienced the darkness of God's judgment and the silence of being separated from God the Father, after God's justice had been satisfied and the plan of salvation had been completed, that's when Jesus says, I thirst. And this time the soldiers gave Jesus sour wine mixed with water. Uh, It's interesting here, this drink, sour wine mixed with water, it was the most common in the cheapest drink among the lower class in that day. 
Uh, it was often called, you know, the poor man's drink. It was basically uh, good wine that had spoiled due to uh, bad storage. And what they did is they mixed it now or diluted it with water and would add herbs to it to kind of make it palatable, to make it drinkable. And so it was bad wine that had turned sour. That's why it's oftentimes called wine vinegar or sour wine. We're told that a jar of it just happened to sit at the crucifixion site. And the reason it was there was, again, for the Roman soldiers to drink. But when Jesus cried, I thirst, they dipped a sponge in the sour wine and they lifted it to his mouth where he found a moment of relief from his burning thirst. Now, I suppose... It's one of the ultimate ironies in the Bible that Jesus, who is the living water, cried out, I thirst. So what does this mean? What does it mean for us today? And what did it mean for Jesus 2,000 years ago when he said this while being crucified on the cross? And does this say anything, does it mean anything for us today talking about our lives and our own thirst even now? our own spiritual thirst? Well, let's answer some of these questions. What does Jesus Christ's suffering show us? And I believe it shows us three things. Look at it with me. Number one, it first of all shows us the humanity of Jesus was real. It shows us the humanity of Jesus was real. You see, the thirst of Jesus Christ was a genuine thirst. Wounded men are often thirsty. As their lifeblood drains away, their fluid levels are depleted and they crave water. And this is especially the case when a man is crucified. As we said, for crucifixion is a long, slow process of dehydration. So if the thirst of Jesus Christ was a genuine thirst, then it was a human thirst. Listen, God the Father does not get thirsty. Angels... Do not get thirsty. Human beings, we, what? We get thirsty. And the thirst of Jesus Christ on the cross was a thirst of a dying man. It was proof that Jesus was fully human. The Bible teaches that when Jesus walked on this earth, He was fully God and fully human. Some people may think Jesus was half God, half man. But Jesus was not 50% God, 50% man. Jesus was not some kind of hybrid. He was 100% God and 100% man. You say, explain that to me. I, I can't explain it to you. I just know that's what the Bible teaches. Most people in our society don't have much trouble accepting that Jesus was a man who walked on this earth. Most people who don't even believe in God will at least accept the fact that a man named Jesus of Nazareth actually walked on this earth. After all, Jesus is one of the best known figures of all the world. Most people accept that reality, accept that fact. But it's, it's somewhat a little different for us as believers, especially when we become believers and we have been believers over time. We seem to struggle with accepting the humanity part of Jesus. If the world tends to doubt that Jesus is really God, we as believers tend to forget that Jesus really became a man. 
There is something scandalous about Jesus becoming a man, that he became tired, hungry, and thirsty. Yet the Bible teaches us that Jesus, he grew as a child. We know that from Luke 2, 52. He ate, he slept, he drank, and it says he even wept when one of his friends named Lazarus died. There was sorrow. But we also must remember that in no way did Jesus' humanity diminish his deity. He was still fully God as well as fully man. Look how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So even though Jesus did become a man, listen, he was never anything less than God. Yet for a period of 33 years, Jesus voluntarily gave up the exercise of his own rights as God. Jesus, he did not void his deity. He simply, uh, as one author says, he veiled it. And he walked among us experiencing what we experience, and yet he did so without sin. So for us to hear Jesus say that he was thirsty on the cross is to be reminded how completely he entered into our world, how completely he entered into our humanity. Jesus was thirsty. And this cry of thirst... Oh, man, it reveals to us, it shows us the intensity of his physical and spiritual suffering on the cross. Follow me, with, follow me on this for a moment. The intensity of his physical suffering. If you run the clock back from 3 p.m. in the afternoon, about the time when he died, and you run it back from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning, you discover that Jesus has been through 12 hours of severe suffering and pain. Jesus has been hanging on the cross for nearly six hours. But prior to that, what was he doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes, he was praying. And then, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, what took place? He was arrested in the middle of the night. And so during those first six hours, Jesus was pushed through six trials. The soldiers beat him. They made a crown of thorns and crushed it on his head. They ripped his beard out. They scourged him with a cat of nine tails 40 times until his back was shredded. Basically, Jesus was a bloody pulp even before his crucifixion. But they still make him carry the cross. And then they crucify him. One author describes Jesus' physical suffering in this way. He says, no wonder he was thirsty. Loss of blood, exposure, heat, exhaustion, dehydration. He's been on the cross now for six hours. It's hot, and the flies are buzzing around him. The crowd's taunting him. The blood mixes with the sweat as it pours off his body. In the end, dehydration sets in. You know what dehydration is like. First, it gives you a fever. 
Then it gives you a terrible throbbing pain in your head. And then cramps in your abdomen. And then nausea sets in. Then your eyeballs begin to dry up in the sockets. And then your lips begin to go dry. Then your tongue gets swollen and thick. And then your throat feels like sandpaper. Your vocal cords swell up. In the end, you can barely whisper. It doesn't sound like human words. It sounds like an animal croaking. No wonder Jesus was thirsty. And so Jesus' cry of thirst, listen to me, it was a cry of intense physical suffering. It showed it. It reveals it to us. But in spite of his physical thirst, I'm convinced that something deeper is being expressed by his cry, I thirst. You see, underlying his physical thirst is another kind of thirst that Jesus experienced in a deeper, more profound way on the cross. And that is a spiritual thirst. When did Jesus say, I thirst? We need to understand the timeline here. When did he cry this out? When did he say this on the cross? Now, it's it's a little bit difficult to see the timeline from John's account alone. But if you splice in Matthew's account, you begin to see that Jesus made this particular statement at the end of the three hours of darkness after he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we learned last week, when Jesus became sin for us, God's holiness demanded what? That God turn from sin. That he forsake his son who became sin for us. And so for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus experienced the horror of separation from God. And now Jesus longed for that relationship to be restored. You could say he is thirsty after who? After God. God the Father. As one author writes, he says his thirst, speaking of Jesus, his thirst was the effect of the agony of his soul in the fierce heat of God's wrath. So Jesus' thirst expressed his yearning, his longing and desire to be back in fellowship with the God the Father again after three hours of separation. This then, at the deepest level, is the thirst Jesus experienced on the cross. Yes, Jesus was physically thirsty, to be sure. But his physical thirst was only the tip of the iceberg. Jesus' deepest, most profound thirst was spiritual. He thirsted after God the Father. So the first thing Jesus' suffering on the cross shows us is that the humanity of Jesus was real. Listen, we must not deny his deity nor his humanity. Jesus had to be a man to die on the cross, to be the sacrifice for our sins. So this is critically important. Number two, the other thing it shows us here is that the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. It shows us the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. Here's the question. Why would Jesus even bother to say, I thirst? when you know that you're minutes away from death. Think about it. If you know you're going to die in a few minutes, why even cry out, I thirst? What's the point of it? Is a little drop of water, wine vinegar on a sponge going to save you? Is it going to extend your life any longer? 
Well, the answer is because there was yet a prophecy that had yet to be fulfilled. That's what John was referring to in verse 28 when he writes, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that is the payment of sins for the world, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said what? I thirst. This is very significant because it showed that Jesus really was the Savior that God had promised He would send. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the qualifications of the Messiah that God had given to us in the Old Testament. Listen, the more you read the Old Testament and the more you get to know Jesus Christ, the more obvious it becomes that Jesus is the Savior God promised He would send. Do you realize that there are over 380 prophecies or predictions or promises about the coming of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament that God made. For Jesus to be who he claimed to be while he was on this earth, he would have to fulfill every one of those prophecies. And you know what? He did even up to the last moment of his death. Here's just a few of the Old Testament prophecies Jesus fulfilled concerning the crucifixion part of his life. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would be betrayed by an intimate friend in Psalm 41.9. What took place? Jesus was betrayed by the kiss of Judas, one of his disciples. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would be totally innocent. Isaiah 53.9. And when Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to die, what did he say? I find no basis for a charge against him. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would be mocked. Psalm 22, 7 through 8. Jesus was spat upon. He was ridiculed. He was insulted, slapped around, and crowned with thorns. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would be counted as a criminal in Isaiah 53, 12. Jesus was crucified between who? Two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would have his hands and his feet pierced in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. And when Jesus was crucified, the nails were driven through his hands and his feet. The Old Testament promised that wicked men would gamble for the Savior's clothes, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. And as we saw last Sunday, the soldiers who crucified Jesus divided up his clothes by casting lots. The Old Testament promised that the Savior would be God-forsaken, Psalm 22.1. That his bones would not be broken, Psalm 32.20. That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53.9. All these things came to pass as well. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A sword pierced. Jesus in the side, but his bones were left unbroken. And of course, Jesus was buried in the garden tomb of a nobleman named Joseph of Arimathea. There was even a prophecy about the thirst of the Savior. King David wrote about it in Psalm twenty-two, fifteen, where he says, My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That, too, had to be fulfilled. As Jesus is hanging on the cross near death, 
there is yet still one more prophecy that has not been fulfilled. It's the prophecy about the drink given to Jesus. We find it in Psalm 69, 21, where it says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And John tells us what happened when Jesus said he was thirsty then in verse 29. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Listen, why did Jesus say, I thirst? Yes, it was because he was genuinely thirsty. He was a human being suffering on the cross, and he genuinely thirsted. But folks, more than that, the reason he cried out, I thirst, was so that the scripture might be fulfilled. Even down to the beverage, all these things confirm that the Jesus Christ really is the promised Savior of the world. Now that is amazing. Because for Jesus to claim who he was, he had to fulfill every prophecy, and he did. You know what kind of confidence that can give you and me in the reality and the truth of God's word and in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Huge confidence. Because the odds of any one person fulfilling all these prophecies are astronomical, and yet Jesus fulfilled Every one of them. So when Jesus says, I thirst, it does two things. It shows us the humanity of Jesus was real. And it shows us the prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled. But there's one last thing Jesus' suffering on the cross shows us. And that is the sympathy of Jesus is sincere. You know, as I thought about this, I think most of us, we we know that God sees us, that he knows what we're doing in life. I think most of us here, we even understand and realize that God knows all things. But at the heart of it, what we really want to know is whether God understands and feels my pain. Does God know what I'm really going through, and does he understand it? When I'm going through adversity and struggles in this circumstance and that circumstance, is God aloof to it, or does he really understand it? Well, just stand at the foot of the cross, and you need not wonder any longer. Jesus felt the pain of rejection. He felt the pain of injustice, and yes, he felt the pain of thirst. And the Bible says it like this in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Look what it says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That is a glorious verse right there. A glorious, wonderful truth. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a Savior, listen to me, who understands what we go through in life. So when you go to our Savior in prayer, you go to one whose heart beats with yours. Because he has known pain and suffering. He has been thirsty. He has been reproached and offended. He has been hated and ignored and rejected. 
Christ has entered our world. He has participated in our suffering. Jesus walked our planet. He ate our food. He drank our water and He has felt our pain. And so whatever you may be going through right now at this moment in your life, listen, you can know with confidence that Jesus experienced all that and more. He understands more than you can ever imagine about what you're going through and have gone through and will go through. Are you in physical pain? Remember his burning thirst. Has your dignity and reputation been assaulted at work or by a neighbor or by anybody? Remember, he was falsely accused and crucified naked. Do you feel forsaken? Remember, Jesus was forsaken by the Father. And so when Jesus says, I thirst, we have a vivid reminder that he understands what it means to be human. You say, well, what's, what's that mean for us? Oh, man, it means let us approach, then, his throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach his throne of grace and receive his mercy in time of need. It's there for you. And he understands what you're going through. We have seen that Jesus' cry of thirst shows us basically three things about Jesus himself. But folks, as we close it out, it also teaches us something about ourselves as well. You know, Zach and Sarah, as most of you know, they just had a baby. Hudson James and baby and mom are doing fine, Zach has told me. Right? Is that true? Yeah. Zach's doing fine too. He says, thanks for asking. And when a baby is born, what is one of the first signs of life? What is it, Zach? Yeah, that's the first one that comes to mind, right? Definitely. But in addition to crying... There is hunger and there is thirst. And if you don't feed and give that baby the nourishment that it needs, how's that baby going to let you know? The crying. Listen, in the same way, we are all born thirsty. Every one of us, as every mother knows. But just as we come into this world with a physical thirst, so we have a spiritual thirst that is built into the soul. We are born spiritually thirsty. How many of you have seen the movie, The Empire of the Sun? It came out a while back. Not many of you have seen it. In that movie, there's a vivid picture of desperate thirst. What it, what it means to be desperately thirsty. And in the chaos of World War II in China the young son of a wealthy British expatriarch is separated from his family and there is no one to care for him. The boy returns to his home and he lives for a while on whatever food has been left behind. But his supplies quickly run out and he is now desperately thirsty. Even the swimming pool on the family estate has run dry. The boy runs to the kitchen which is littered with all these empty cans, and he fervently licks every last can to the very bottom. Just any kind of liquid to quench his thirst. 
That is a picture of what it's like to live in this world and be spiritually thirsty. We are thirsty people. And we go through this life panting after something, anything, that will quench our thirsty souls. Well, here is the good news, folks. This is the message of Jesus' cry on the cross, is that Jesus thirsted on the cross so that we might never thirst again spiritually. So how do we satisfy this thirst that we have, that we're all born with, this spiritual thirst? I think there's two steps here. Let me show them to you. Number one, realize what you're really thirsty for is a relationship with Jesus. Realize what you're really thirsty for is a relationship with Jesus. Because what so many think will quench their thirst will just leave you still thirsty. How many people in our world think money and possessions and material things will quench their thirst? How many people think sex and pleasure will quench our thirst? How many people think success and power will quench our thirst? How many people think marriage and kids will quench our thirst? You name it. We think these watering holes will quench our thirst that the world has to offer, but they leave us thirstier than we were before. And the issue here is not whether we thirst. Listen, every one of us here, we all thirst, but rather how long will we thirst? Some people will go on being thirsty for all eternity. Jesus told a story about a rich man who did just that. A rich man who died and he went to hell. You can read about the story in Luke 16. And the man was tormented with such thirst that he begged for someone, anyone, to come and just to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue because he was in such agony in the fires of hell. What do people in Hades, which will eventually be thrown into hell, say? What are they screaming out? Listen, they are tormented in hell and they cry out, I thirst. I thirst. The Puritan writer Matthew Henry put it like this. The torments of hell are represented by a violent thirst. In the complaint of the rich man who begged for a drop of water to cool his tongue. And to that everlasting thirst, we had all been condemned if Christ had not suffered on the cross. Thankfully, though, Jesus did that. Thankfully, Jesus suffered parched lips that we might be able to drink from the wells of salvation... He endured the thirst of hell so that we might never be thirsty again. David said it like this in Psalm 63.1, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My body longs for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the first step in satisfying your thirst, your spiritual thirst, is to realize What you're really thirsty for is not all this stuff in the things that the world has to offer, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. For He is the only one who can satisfy your thirst. Which brings us to step two. Stop looking for satisfaction everywhere besides Jesus. Stop looking for it in this world. 
We're always looking around trying to find something, anything to make our lives happy, to make our lives fulfilled, to make our lives significant. We are so much, we are like the people in Jeremiah's day. When he writes in Jeremiah 12, verse, I mean 2, verse 12, look what it says. He says, my people had committed two sins. And oh, do we commit these two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, or their own wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What are we thinking, trying to quench our thirst by digging our own watering holes? Listen, you can ride over any well that we dig, or any watering hole that you go to that this world offers up to you, and you can ride over it. If you drink of this water, you will thirst again. If you drink of this water, you will thirst again. This is basically what Jesus tells the woman at the well. You remember that story? John chapter 4. Jesus encounters a woman who is interested in spiritual things. She is seeking after something more because her life is so unfulfilled, so empty. She's been through five men and is now on the sixth one. And Jesus confronts her and says, listen, why do you keep searching You have an unquenchable, you have a thirst that only I can quench. Look what he says to her now. Notice it in John chapter 4. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So if you sense within your own soul here this morning, if you sense a thirst within your life, then Jesus invites you to drink what he has to offer. Listen to what he says in John 7, 37 and 38. He says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty do what? Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So what does all this mean here? It means if you feel unsatisfied with your life, if there is a a void and a hole within you, if there is still a thirst that has not been quenched, you are spiritually thirsty. And the only one who can quench that thirst is the one who said on the cross, I thirst. Jesus thirsted on the cross so you don't have to thirst. He became thirsty so you never have to be thirsty again. And the amazing thing is Jesus is thirsty for you to know Him. That's why the very last invitation in God's Word. You go to the book of Revelation, to the last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 17. And look what here, or not look, but hear what it says. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Who is the water of life? It is Jesus Christ. The one 
who hung on the cross for you and said, I thirst, so you might never thirst again. With your heads bowed, and as we come to our response time here this morning, you know, perhaps God is speaking to you. And if when you're really honest with yourself, you're like, man, that's me. I am so spiritually thirsty. My life is so unfulfilled, so unsatisfied, because I keep trying to fulfill it and find satisfaction in the watering holes of this world, in the wells that I dig myself. Now let me encourage you to to answer the invitation of Jesus Christ. And if that's your heart's desire here this morning, I want to encourage you just to follow me in a prayer like this. It can be your own words, but this is, this is just a prayer that you can use, that you can, you can follow. Dear Jesus Christ, I realize that I've been looking to other things to meet my needs and to find fulfillment and satisfaction. Today, I've realized what I'm really thirsty for is you, a relationship with my Creator. Jesus, I want to stop looking for satisfaction in this world. I'm thirsty and want to come to you as my Savior, the one who paid for my sins on the cross and can give me eternal life. Thank you for saving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know most of you here, you have already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And my challenge to you this morning is do you know anybody who is still spiritually thirsty? Do you know of somebody who is far from God and who needs Jesus Christ in their heart? I want you during this time, my, my challenge is for us to use this time to, to think of that person, even write their name down, and begin to pray that God would use you to show them Jesus Christ, the water of life. Even pray that, that God would give you the boldness to invite them to our Easter service and that they would accept your invitation to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Would you use this time to pray for one person who is spiritually thirsty? As this praise team sings, it's our time to respond.